0: Well, thank you. I feel very welcome. <laughs> if you notice how the words feel very welcome is means clap. Let's make something feel welcome. Just clap. Uh, it's great though, isn't it? It's great because we're in family here. It's just wonderful to be here. It's been just such a good day. Um, in our 9.30 meeting, um, we baptised seven young people. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, we also dedicated a, a, a baby in that meeting as well to the Lord, and now we've got two other, I'm going to say you're young people as well, because you, you, you're not knocking on, you know, you, you're young, you're, 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 you're still in your teens, aren't you? So it's like, it, what a wonderful day, um, just brilliant, and to do it among family is wonderful. You know, 9.30 meeting was absolutely packed to the rafters in here, it was heaving with people. And, uh, and hey, this is not too bad either, is it? So uh, it's just wonderful to be here and, and, and a, a wonderful day. And um, all of those who have got baptised earlier, and, and, and the two that we're baptising today, Amanda and Callista, um, they've made a very bold choice, actually. And it's happened at different points in their lives, but they've made a very bold choice to follow Jesus in a world where most people don't. That's a really bold choice. It's a choice that will be tested many times in the years to come, but it is a very definite choice that they have made for themselves. And in doing that, in making that choice, they're aligning themselves with a particular way of seeing the world, a particular way of understanding the world, a, a very particular narrative that really explains the world and why the world is as it is and why life is as it is. And again, that's a narrative that many people around us don't, don't follow. And so at the risk of grossly oversimplifying things, but I kind of have to because I don't have very long uh, to speak, um, there are really two sort of big opposing storylines in, in our world, two major opposing narratives present in our world. So there's the biblical storyline, which we've obviously heard a lot about already today, but the biblical storyline is essentially that God created the world. That's the foundation. God created. Okay, We are created, we are designed. That says a lot that I don't have time to go into right now. But God created the world and when he created the world and he created us, it was good. But then humans messed it up. Humans corrupted the world, brought sin into the world, brought evil into the world and messed it up for which we are deserving of judgment and rejection from God. But that problem of evil that we have in the world, in the biblical worldview, finds its solution not in ourselves but from God himself, from the creator himself, through Jesus Christ. And it results eventually, in the future, in a new creation where peace and justice are perfectly restored. That's the biblical worldview, in a a nutshell. That's the worldview that they're aligning themselves with. Then you have the secular worldview, the secular storyline or narrative, which really seeks to take God out of the equation by taking away any idea of creation or design. You know, that we're kind of the result of just some sort of random happening. That has no apparent cause or anything like that, but it doesn't really acknowledge any inherent moral problem of evil or have any explanation for it. It's just that there are some good people and some bad people. Uh, And this storyline, the secular storyline, looks not to God, but it looks to humanity, to the ongoing self-improvement of humanity, for humanity to solve its own problems. So basically, you've got one storyline where All our hopes are placed in God rescuing us, and another storyline where all our hopes are placed in humanity rescuing itself. The common thread being that we are all in need of some sort of rescue. Um, That there is something very wrong with the world. We have big problems. There's something fundamentally broken about the world. And I don't think I need to say anything about that. I think it's pretty obvious. Just look around us. The question is which storyline do you follow ultimately? Which narrative do you follow? Where is your hope? Where is your hope? Is it in God or is it in man? Here's a quote from somebody who very much believed in human progress. This is H.G. Wells, the author. H.G. Wells, speaking in 1937. He said this, he said, Can we doubt that presently our race will more than realise our boldest imaginations That it will achieve unity and peace, and that our children will live in a world made more splendid and lovely than any palace or garden that we know, going on from strength to strength in an ever widening circle of achievement. What man has done forms but the prelude to the things that man has yet to do. Right? That's H.G. Wells speaking in 1937. You know, it's a very enlightenment view. You know, we are reaching enlightenment, we are the solution to our problems. It's only going to get better from here on in. This is H.G. Wells speaking in 1946, after the war. He said, The cold-blooded massacres of the defenceless, the return of deliberate and organised torture, mental torment and fear, to a world from which such things had seemed well-nigh banished, has come near to breaking my spirit altogether. Homo sapiens, as he has been pleased to call himself, is played out. That's the same guy. (laughs) The point is, if we look to man to solve its own problems it breaks us. History has shown us time and time again that man's track record of solving our problems is not good. Far from it. In fact, we always tend to make our problems worse. Why? Because actually the problem lies within us. It lies within our hearts, every single one of us. It's not an external problem that we can solve. It's the problem that lies within us that we are unable, incapable of solving. Because when we come face to face with ourselves, we can't cope with that. So the problem lies in us. And it's the biblical worldview that encourages us to to realize that, to understand that, to acknowledge that. And to turn not to ourselves, but to turn to our creator for help. It offers a different kind of hope. So here's what it says in 1 Peter 1 verse 3. This is in the New Testament. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I think we're all aware, regardless of faith, whether you would claim to have faith or not have faith, I would argue you have faith in something, but it might not be the same faith as I have. I think we're all aware that we need hope in our lives. Everyone, every human being is aware. Deep down, we know we have longings within us for meaning in life, for purpose, uh, for significance, for security, for acceptance and for hope. Deep longings for hope. We become particularly aware of that need for hope when things go wrong in our lives. And we all know that things will go wrong in our lives. We all know that some sort of suffering and sorrow is just an inescapable part of life things go wrong bad things happen in our lives we we all understand that and it's in those times that we really need a solid and living hope to stand on that goes beyond our circumstances rather than being rooted within our circumstances so victor frankl was a, a a jewish psychotherapist who survived the holocaust he was in a concentration camp and he observed people in those concentration camps he identified four main responses to the unimaginable suffering that people went through uh, in those concentration camps. So one observation, one response he noticed was some people became brutal. Like Even some of the nicest people became brutal and cruel. They would trample on anyone to survive, so survive at any cost. That was how some responded. Others, he noticed, just gave up. They lost hope altogether. There was no hope. They just refused to get dressed. They checked out. They, They refused to wash. They refused to go on parade in spite of the punishments, the beatings they just gave up. Um, even some of the most optimistic people just gave up hope. Then he said there were some who held on for some kind of future hope. It, it was that thing of, if I can just survive this, then I'll get all my hopes back. If I can just stay alive, then when this is all over, I will get my, my health back, my wealth, my family my position in society, my professional achievements, all the things that had been their hope previously, all the things in which they'd found meaning in their life previously, they were thinking they're going to be restored once this is all over. The reality, of course, was very different in that some of those things simply couldn't be restored. But also there was no earthly happiness that could possibly compensate for the suffering that they had gone through. And so that sense of meaning they'd found previously in those things that didn't return, even in the things they did get back. And that disillusionment led many into depression and even into suicide. But then he noticed the fourth response, that there were a few who were able to keep a genuine inner strength that somehow raised them above their outward circumstances, their outward fate. And this was where they had a hope that suffering and death could not destroy, couldn't touch, a hope that was greater than the things of this world. Whether that was God Or it was the idea of a friend or a family member or a spouse looking down on them and not wanting to disappointment, that kind of thing. It was a hope that went beyond this world that suffering and death could not alter, could not touch. See, this is the thing. Suffering, when we go through times of suffering, it does expose the weaknesses in our foundations. It exposes the weaknesses of those things in which we place our hope. The things that we look to for meaning in life, the things that we're really living for. So, what is it for you that you are living for? If you really think about it, what is it that you are living for? What is it that you would say, about which you would say, look, if I could just have that, then I would be happy. If I could just have that, because that, whatever that is, is what you worship. That is your ultimate hope. It's what you're living for. It's where you're finding meaning. It's what you're resting the, the, the weight of your life on, and all the purposes of your life are on this thing. And they can be really good things that we do. And we all do this to some extent. They can be really good things like being healthy or, or looking good or um, wealth or your career or family, friends, relationships, uh, achievements. Also, these are all good things in themselves. They're not bad things. They're all good things, but the problem is, if we make any finite and changeable thing into our ultimate hope, and all those things are finite and changeable, if we make those into our ultimate hope, then suffering is when those things get taken away from us, when those things get stripped away, and so we end up becoming very disillusioned or depressed, cynical, bitter, our lives end up getting destroyed. So, you know, for example, if I make my career into my ultimate hope, if that is where I'm finding all my meaning in life, and careers are good, and it's good to find some sense of meaning and identity, but if that is where my ultimate hope is, then what happens if I lose my job? I'm not just kind of upset by that, which would be right. I'm not just disappointed, which would be right and natural. I'm devastated by it. It devastates my life because that source of meaning is gone where I was placing the whole weight of my life, it's gone. Or if I were to make my, my wife into my ultimate hope, or she were to make me her ultimate hope, if I was looking to her to meet every need I have for meaning and significance and acceptance and security in my life, I place the whole weight of my life on her, or she does that with me, we're in big trouble. Big trouble. One, because we sometimes let each other down. Me more than her, I, was, I will admit. But second, because we won't be alive forever. You know, the fact is we're all dying and we don't know when. Just to cheer you all up today. Um, Message of hope. The point is I I can't put my ultimate hope on my wife. I love her. I'm committed to her. We're committed to each other. We enjoy being married. But if we make each other our ultimate hope, we're in big, big trouble. We can't put the weight of our lives on one another because... What happens when it's gone? There will be a time, probably, where one of us is no longer there. What happens to the other person then if our whole hope is placed on the other person? Now we. We need an infinite reference point in our lives. When we take any good thing in our life and we turn it into our ultimate hope, it becomes a very shaky foundation. We need a living hope, an infinite reference point, an eternal, unchanging hope to be able to handle suffering and sorrow when it comes, as it inevitably does. To be able to handle life, because the reality is, if you live long enough, you will lose all of those good things that I've talked about. You will lose them all. You will lose your health. You will lose your looks. You will lose wealth, ultimately. You won't take any of it with you. You will lose your career. You will lose family. You will lose friends. Those are all great things to be enjoyed in life. They're the blessings of God on our lives. But we need an ultimate hope, a living hope, one that doesn't die, one that doesn't change. So what is it? What is this living hope that Peter's talking about? Well, he goes on to tell us a little bit more in the next verse, where he talks about, in verse 4, An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. So it's an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. That means it is guaranteed. It's utterly secure. It cannot be removed. It is kept for you. It is safe. But what is it? What is this inheritance? What it really boils down to is is this. It's that on the cross, Jesus... Was given everything that the human race deserves. He took upon himself, he took, he absorbed everything the human race deserves. And we know the human record deserves condemnation, deserves judgment, it deserves rejection from God. And not just as an abstract thing, but my record deserves all of those things, my own. My own record deserves those things. Jesus paid the penalty for all of it. He paid the penalty for our sins. He, he took the, the debt, he absorbed the debt that none of us could ever pay in a, in a, in a million years. He took it all and paid it off. But then there's a great, another side to this as well. It gets even better that if you believe in him and you put your trust fully in him, not only does he absorb your debt, take that away from you, but he gives you what he deserved You get from God what he deserved, the record that Jesus deserved. You get it credited to you. The righteousness of Christ, the perfect life he lived, is credited to you as if you lived it yourself. This is a pretty good deal in my eyes. Even better, as a result of being given his righteousness, as a result of that being credited to you and your debt being absorbed, you get to be reconciled with God. You get to have peace with God. That is what we're all made for. If God is the creator and we were made for a relationship with Him and that relationship is broken, what do you think the deep longings in us are about? What is it we're longing for? What is it we're searching for? Peace with God. Reconciliation with God, the the missing peace that we're all looking for. This is a pretty good deal. That is the gospel. That's the gospel. That is the good news. You're born again into this living hope, not through your good deeds and your achievements, but through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, many people try, desperately try to live a good life in, you know, taking a bit of a gamble in the hope that if there is a God and if there is such a thing as heaven, that they'll get there. You know, in the hope that their good deeds will make them acceptable to God. And don't get me wrong, it is good to try to live a good life, it's good to try to do the right things. In life, but you have to know that your life will never be good enough to be acceptable to a holy God. You know, you, you're, you, might, you might live a great life, you might live a really good life. You might, if you look at the people around you, your standard of, of morality and doing the right thing might be way up here. You might have a really high standard in your life, higher than everybody else you know, but it's nowhere near the standard for a holy and a perfect God. You can never attain that yourself. You can never achieve it yourself. It's just impossible. The difference for me as a Christian is that I know with absolute assurance, I know that I am acceptable to God right now and for eternity, not because of, of me, not because I'm good, not because I've done anything, but because Jesus is good. it's on the basis of what Jesus has done. It's on the basis of inheriting his perfect record. And therefore, I have a desire to live a good life. Out of that, in the light of that, I have a desire to live a changed life because he has changed me. Because he has given me everything I need to live that life. It's not to earn anything from him. It's because he's already given me everything that I need. That's the difference between religion and the gospel. You know religion is about saving yourself. You do you live well, you follow the rules, you present my righteous record to God and then he owes me something. That's religion, that is not the gospel. Many people get this confused. That is not the gospel. The gospel is about knowing that your record will never ever be righteous enough ever. It is about receiving from God, resting in God's work of salvation on your behalf, receiving his grace for you, receiving everything he has to you, knowing that God gives me a righteous record in Jesus Christ so that I can live in freedom for him and from him, and I can enjoy everything that he deserves for eternity as an adopted son of God. That's my identity. That's the identity he's given to me. I haven't earned it, he has given it to me. That is the inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. That is the living and eternal hope that we have if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian. So how do you get hold of this living hope if you don't have it? How do you get it? You get it by believing the gospel and declaring that Jesus is Lord. That you're going to follow him even when that's really hard because he's the He's the best. He knows what is best for you because he's trustworthy, because he loves you, because he's given you everything. It's saying you're going to follow him in all of that. That is what's happened to all of those getting baptised today. They have believed the gospel for themselves. Something has changed in them. Something has shifted in them. They've believed it for themselves. They have encountered and received Christ for themselves. They've committed to follow him as Lord and they have been born again into a living hope and an eternal and a glorious inheritance. Praise God. Now, does that mean they're going to live from this point on a life of sinless perfection, free from disappointments, free from struggles, free from suffering? Of course, it doesn't mean that. They will face many challenges. They will face many temptations, and they will mess it up at times. Sometimes their life will not look like a follower of Jesus. They will mess it up, as we all do and as we all have at times, because there is still brokenness in us, and we still live in a broken world. But their ultimate hope and my ultimate hope is not in something that is finite and changeable like my own performance. That's a very shaky foundation for my life. It is in something infinite and eternal, unchanging and solid, and that makes all the difference. That brings peace into life. That brings joy. It brings meaning and purpose and freedom and hope. Living hope. Eternal hope into our lives. So what about you? Where is your hope? Is it in God? Or is it in man? Or in yourself? All I can say to you as I finish here. All I can say to you is Jesus has totally changed my life. Completely changed my life. And that is the same story for many people here. Believe the gospel. It is good news for you. If you don't know it, this is good news for you. Believe the gospel. Be born again into a living hope. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's get some people baptised.